As part of Black History Month, the state's cultural education institutions in Albany are promoting historic civil rights documents for the public to view as part of their Moral Arc Toward Freedom exhibition. To discuss the centerpiece of this display, which is scheduled to run through March 3rd, as well as to learn more about the historic civil rights documents in the state's possession, we're joined in the Capitol Press Room studio by Lauren Moore, the state librarian. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Hi, thank you. And also with us is Lisa Duncan, Principal Librarian for the State Library. Thanks for joining us, Lisa. Thank you. So let's work our way through history. And with that in mind, I want to start with the papers you have related to President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation of 1862. What exactly is in the state's possession and on display right now? Okay, currently what we have is the final draft of the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. Many people do not realize that there are two proclamations. The preliminary proclamation was issued on September 22, 1862, and then 100 days later, the final Emancipation Proclamation was issued on January 1, 1863. So the Civil War area has a lot of famous documents and speeches, whether it's the Gettysburg Address, the 13th Amendment. So the Emancipation Proclamation, what's the significance of it and the significance of this preliminary document? The preliminary document actually sets forth President Lincoln's plan for emancipation. And it gives the uh, rebel states 100 days to lay down their arms. And if they don't, then he would issue the final proclamation stating that all slaves are forever free. So that's very pivotal because it is the document that tells us how President Lincoln is viewing all of this. He was very interested in the Declaration of Independence. Many scholars now feel that the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation is the third most important U.S. document. First being the Declaration of Independence, second, the Constitution, along with the Bill of Rights, and then the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. So it is a very pivotal document in U.S. history. And what exactly does it consist of? Is this just one page of notes? Is this a a couple pages of formal writing? Can, Can you describe what this actually looks like? The document is four pages. He wrote this on rag paper, lined rag paper, with iron gall ink. Secretary of State William Seward penciled in some notes when, when it was being read to their cabinet, a few corrections here and there. The chief clerk put in a formal beginning, a formal ending, and then it was ready once they all agreed in September of 1862 that it was ready to be a formal document and to be issued. And then it went to the federal engrosser who made the official copy, which is now, that official copy is with the National Archives. So this document that we have is the only remaining draft of either of these two documents, the preliminary or the final. 
And how did we get our hand on the preliminary document? Is this something you found in your basement while you're doing some cleaning? Did you steal it from the National Archives? <laughs> how did we get this, Lisa? Okay. Well, it's a very interesting story. Um, during the Civil War, there were many bazaars and auctions held to raise money for the U.S. Sanitary Commission. And the U.S. Sanitary Commission is the precursor to the Red Cross. And it was during this time in 1864 that the Army Relief Commission here in Albany planned to have a bazaar. It was common to find a document that a politician signed that was really cool during that time. And they were able to obtain the document from the president through Frederick Seward, who was the son of William Seward. And William Seward being the Secretary of State at the time. Also remember, he was a governor of New York State. So it was a, a time of, well, there was some networking going on. And the fact that the state of New York was very much involved in abolishing uh, slavery. So the uh, document was raffled at the Army Relief Bazaar, and Garrett Smith, who was a well-known abolitionist, won the document. He purchased 1,000 tickets. Only 1,100 tickets were purchased. Each ticket cost a dollar, so he spent $1,000 on this document, and he did that because he wanted to make sure that there were ample funds for the U.S. Sanitary Commission. He was very adamant about this. Meanwhile, William Barnes, who is Emily Weed Barnes, husband, and she was the corresponding secretary of the Army Relief Commission. He was a, a very uh, adamant political figure in Albany, and he felt that it was a very important document and that this document was more important than the final preliminary emancipation. So he lobbied the state legislature. The state legislature at the time did not want to purchase it. He was trying to get the state legislature to purchase it. They wouldn't do it. And sadly, President Lincoln passed away in 1865. His funeral train came through. Um, He lay in state in the state capitol. The legislature saw that there were hundreds of people that came to pay respects. And they decided, yes, they would purchase the document. So they purchased the document for $1,000. It was actually part of the budget, the state budget. And it does say that the document is to be deposited in the New York State Library. And we've been taking care of it ever since. So that's the story you're going with, because I've heard that the Nicolas Cage character of National Treasure is actually based on you. So I'm just assuming that you had some involvement in securing this. Oh, no. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, I take care of it. Uh, I yeah, make well, sure that it's preserved and kept for generations. And what is actually involved in caring for this document? I imagine you've got a nice set of like white gloves or something. 
yes, um, although we never touch the document. The document. Not even at parties? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> we, we have it encased in a special encasement. It is placed in, in a secure location. It is protected from light and oxygen. So the special encasement is set up so that oxygen does not touch the, the ink or the paper because it will degrade the ink and the paper. The light will degrade the ink. So it has a light budget. That's why you don't see it out very often because we count the number of hours it's out. Uh, only five foot candles are allowed. So the lighting, when you go see the document, and I encourage everyone to come see it, it is in a uh, room that is dimmed um, in order to protect that document for future generations. And it hasn't, it hasn't faded much, which is wonderful. The paper is still in fairly good condition, which is wonderful, because this will allow our future generations to, to view it in person. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce both of you for listeners uh, just joining us. We're speaking with Lauren Moore, the state librarian, as well as Lisa Duncan, principal librarian for the state library. And we're talking about the Moral Arc Toward Freedom exhibition here in Albany. So let's fast forward 100 years from the Emancipation Proclamation up to the modern civil rights era. What are the papers connected to Martin Luther King Jr. that are on display as part of this exhibition? Accompanying this, uh, the preliminary emancipation proclamation is a typewritten speech by Martin Luther King Jr., as well as the audio audio recording of him delivering that speech in, in New York City in September of 1962. And it is a speech where he is directly referencing the, the Emancipation Proclamation, because long before Lisa was doing the good work of keeping this document safe and secure and free from light and air, Governor Rockefeller was literally trotting around the state with us in his briefcase. It's 1962. Rockefeller is determined to show the world that New York is the leader in progressive politics when it comes to the civil rights movement. He is able to use the fact that we have this document in our possession in New York State, this preliminary emancipation proclamation where Lincoln declared that um, enslaved people would be free you know, this evidence of this, of his chops in this space. So he uses this document, he brings it around, he's showing the world, listen, we care about civil rights, look at what we're doing, look at our strong history. And as part, part of the centennial celebration of the uh, Civil War, um, hosts a series of events. And uh, the speech that we have from Martin Luther King Jr. is actually a speech presented at one of these events. Um, my understanding is that King was actually quite hesitant to participate. His advisors told him, like, there are a lot of Republicans in this room. We're going to make Kennedy upset. But Rockefeller was really able to sweeten the deal. He made some donations to the causes that were important to King at the time. King was able to really make the decision that, hey, this is these are some of the power brokers and political leaders and big donors, and this is an opportunity to connect this moment, this 100-year anniversary, to the current civil rights movement and the great work we have ahead. And the document itself, what is actually on display? You mentioned the audio, but again, Mm -hmm. is this just a a piece of paper with some typewritten text on it and some notes in the margins? What do people expect to see? 
it's typewritten speech mm-hmm. with notes in the margin. And in this case, the notes were actually notes that were added by the audio engineer, which is really fascinating. So uh, part of the power of this exhibit, I think, is that we have documents from the State Library, the Prelim- Preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. We have the typewritten speech by Dr. King, which is in the State Archives collection because it's officially part of the record of that centennial commission. And then the audio recording, which had been in the museum's collection. So what we realized is that the notes in the margins of the typewritten speech from the engineer who made the recording. So when that realization was made, you understand that King was making improvisations probably in the moment, changing bits of the speech, leaving parts out and adding other elements. Um, And then while you're experiencing the full exhibit, you can actually listen to the audio and realize the power of King's voice in delivering these powerful words. And same sort of question with regards to the proclamation. What happens to MLK Jr.'s speech when it's not on display? That stays in the the state archives collection. Um, The state archives collects government records from across the state. Uh, There's a sort of um, a a records management aspect where they retain records and dispose of them for state agencies. Uh, But some of these documents like this one remain in the collection in perpetuity because of its permanent um, historical value. And the state archives, how are they utilized when those items aren't uh, on display? Are they primarily a tool for scholars? Are they where you bring your friends if you want to impress them? Mm-hmm. What should we think about the archives? There's all, sort of use, all sorts of usages, and it's the same for the state museum, the state archives, and the state museum, where we are collecting the documentary history of, of the state of New York. The state library connect, collects the state documents, the documents that are published by the state. We collect documents relating to the history of the state. The state, ar- the state archives collects the actual records of government, and the state museum collects the, the artifacts that document our, uh, our history and our natural history and support the research into those areas, including scientific research. So, so when you come to the Office of Culture or the Cultural Education Center on Madison Avenue and you visit the museum or head up to the seventh floor and visit the state library or take the elevator up to the 11th floor to, to visit the research room, you're interacting with some aspects of our collections, but there are actually very, very deep, deep pools with tens of millions of documents in each of these collections that are there for everyone to use. So um, in order to experience these documents, you can have a reference question and ask an archivist or a librarian for help with your research. Maybe a journalist is looking for information about how a state agency is operated and would need to FOIL those documents. And and oftentimes the state archives is who will be complying with that request. Well, finally, if people aren't able to make it to Albany, New York's a big state, how can they engage with the state museum and maybe even the state archives? Yep. So all of us, the state library, the state archives and state museum understand that our role is to support research, not just locally here in Albany, but across the state and and to support research around the world. Um, So there are many ways to interact. You can visit our websites where we have extensive digital collections, even the materials in this exhibit that we're discussing today are available digitally for anyone to to review and look at and actually read these interesting texts in conversation with one another. Um, We also host webinars and online events for Women's History Month in March. We'll be celebrating with a series of webinars about women in New York's history. 
and we're always here to support your research needs. So that's something else that I love to remind people. If you're doing genealogy research or so interested about your, your local community, oftentimes the state library, the state archives can, can really help, uh, help with that research and something that we love to do. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Lisa Duncan, Principal Librarian for the State Library. Thanks for visiting us, Lisa. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And we've also been hearing from Lauren Moore, the State Librarian. Thanks for making the time, Lauren. Thanks. It was great. Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided by New York State United Teachers, a statewide union of nearly 700,000 professionals in education and healthcare.